Welcome to Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. Voices of Nature is dedicated to sharing the voices of innovative, passionate leaders committed to saving and protecting the world's most threatened natural resources. In today's episode, we're talking with Jean-Claude Biver. I will let Jean-Claude talk about his career because I will not do it justice. But it should be noted that he began his watchmaking business in a camper van in the early 1970s. Four decades later, he retired after reinvigorating and leading some of the most iconic watch brands in the world. Hiver recently was awarded the Legion of Honor by the government of France, the highest French order of merit. That is an arc of a successful career. A friend told me that if you wanna make Jean-Claude smile, ask him about his farm and his cheese factory. And I will do that in a few minutes. It also has been written, quote, you never quite know what's going to happen around Biver. And that's how we are treating today's podcast. Jean-Claude asked that he be allowed to speak with emotion, passion, and from the heart. At his request, there are no scripted questions, except the last to ask every guest. Jean-Claude, welcome to Voices of Nature. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Well, and we're, we're so excited to have you on, and we really appreciate your time. And, and so, like I said, I'm sure I, I would not do your career justice, but I would love to learn a little bit more about your your career and your background, because I really do think it, it sets the stage for a lot of what we'll talk about today. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> my career can be uh, summed up under one name, one definition, and that definition is passion. And that's my biggest privilege, that my job is not a job, but it's a passion. And when your job is a passion, you never get the feeling that you are working. And the worst thing, or when I was a hippie and uh, I was a student, I always hoped that I would never have to work. <laughs> it was a kind of a dream uh, because I never thought that working is fun. And I prefer to be in the nature, to travel, to do sport. And I said, why should I work? <laughs> but as my parents had not enough money, and uh, I had no other choice than to finish my studies and one day to work. And so when we were hippies, we were reading different uh, philosophical books. And um, in one of these books uh, of the Chinese philosopher Confucius, he wrote that if you don't want to feel the pain of work, transform your work in a passion. There you go. And that is an incredible, great wording, uh, which helped me, although I had no passion. <laughs> so I said to myself, God damn, <laughs> transform your work in your passion. Yeah, okay, easy to say, but where is my passion? And when I was a little boy, I loved to play, and it was a real passion. I loved to play like crazy with steam machines. And um, a friend of mine said, listen, <coughs> why don't you, if you had a passion for steam machines, uh, and this was a toy as a boy, now you are an adult, maybe you have transformed from a boy to a man, you are taller, you are larger, etc. Maybe your toy has also transformed. And uh, can you imagine how a steam machine toy 
could transform and be the passion of a man, of a gentleman that is 20 years old. And we found out that it could be watches because a watch is a machine. It is not driven by steam, but it has uh, wheels, axes, uh, and it is very similar to a machine. And I said, oh, watches, yes. So let's get into watches and uh, let's have watches as my passion. So I ordered myself to take watches as a passion and to look at it as if it would be a passion. And I had a big uh, luck to find a job in the first, in, in the, my first job was in a watch factory, of course. And there the CEO said to me, listen, before you are working, you will during one year be with the watchmakers. I said, but I'm not a watchmaker. <laughs> I studied economics and finance at the university. He said, but that's why, that's why during one year, you will sit next to watchmakers and watch what they are doing <laughs> and talk to them. And so you will be learning what the watchmaking art means. And you will learn how the watchmakers mentality is. And you will learn where they live, what they love, etc. And I said, but that's not possible, come on. And you, but I will give you half salary. So the guy gave me a half salary and during one year I had to work. Uh, I didn't have to work. I was sitting next to watchmakers. And you didn't you didn't make any watches in this year? You just sat and watched? Nothing. I just was looking. And I'm not <laughs> capable to make a watch, you know. And it was the, the brand is called Audemars Piguet AP, and they make very fine, ultra slim watches. And you really need not to be a watchmaker, you need to be a watchmaker master to be able to finish one watch. So uh, it would have been totally impossible for me. And I'm too nervous. I'm too excited. I'm not, you know, I don't have the, uh, the temperament, the, the mentality to make watches. So after one year, I had learned a lot about the art of making watches. And I have learned also the mentality of the watchmakers. And, you know, the watchmakers in this valley, watchmaker masters, they are very close to nature because they were all farmers. They were all farmers in the 17th, 18th century. So they all come from farmer and many are still living in their farmhouses. And as farmers, they loved uh, uh, cheese they, they, because in this valley, the only thing you can do uh, is to have cows. You cannot have uh, uh, corn because it's too high. It's at 1,200 meters. Uh, so the only way to make a living as a farmer is with wood and cows. And cows means uh, cheese and butter and milk. And that is how I discovered the cheese world at the same time that I discovered the watchmaking world. And you know, and people totally ignore this, the Swiss in the, the Swiss watchmaking art has been developed in the farmhouses of this valley. That is where the first people have started to make watches in the 18th century. And so somehow watchmaking comes from the farmers. 
And uh, that is today gives you the explanation why I have also a passion for cheese. Because if you have a passion for watches and you go back to the history, you will land in a farmhouse and making cheese. But because that's where it started. So Jean-Claude, you're a watchmaker, you're a farmer, you live in Switzerland. Connect all those dots for us and, and talk to us a little about, about where your passion comes from, uh, your, your passion for nature. And, and in a way, like, how do you live your life with that passion for nature always in mind? You know, my, my, I don't know where it comes from, but uh, when I was a little child, my, my grandfather, he brought me uh, all the time to the forest for a little walk. And uh, he taught me about the flowers, about the birds, about the trees, about the water. And uh, so I think that uh, thanks to this, he made me very young, conscious about the beauty uh, of nature. Uh, but also not only the beauty, but uh, also the fact that uh, we are a member of nature. <laughs> as much as an animal is a member of nature, as much as a bird is a member or a fish, we are also member. And uh, for us, the mother is nature. Nature is our mother. We all come from nature. We must all obey the rules of nature. <laughs> we must <laughs> also respect nature. And nature is so much stronger than we. And nature will be here in a million of years. So our real mother, uh, our real God is nature. And uh, uh, I developed this uh, feeling and this uh, persuasion very early. Uh, and so maybe that was also one of the reasons why I became a hippie in, in the uh, 60s, in the beginning of the 60s, because I felt that the power flower and make law instead of uh, war, uh, they were somehow right. Okay, okay, I never became a real, real hippie, but I kept a few elements of the philosophy. And... You know, I was eating bio in 1966. We were only buying bio products as much as we could because in Europe in the 60s uh, to eat bio was a fantasy. <laughs> uh, it was also a little bit expensive, but many people didn't understand and many people thought, why should we uh, eat bio and buy uh, ananas or uh, bananas uh, that are bio, we cannot see the difference. But we were already conscious about this. We were not eating Uncle Ben's white rice, you know. We were uh, buying very natural and uh, original rice, brown rice. So uh, my conscience about nature started, I think, as when I, thanks to my grandfather. Uh, then, additionally, my grandfather was also uh, doing some wine, and they had a, an hotel and a restaurant. So I was from very young surrounded by nature, by food, by wine, and by hospitality. If you have a restaurant and an hotel, 
you have a you have a responsibility to be hospitable, <laughs> to be friendly, and to be respectful. The customer must be respected, and respect is a very important element. That if people would know what respect is, they would have started to respect the climate, to respect nature, to respect how you kill animals. Can you imagine the way we are killing animals for our meat? Uh, the fishes that come from the net and they, they uh, and they are landing in the ship, but how long will they uh, live before they die? They will die in panic. It takes them maybe 15 minutes before they die. Uh, same for our cows, for our pigs. It's horrible. And I have started to become a vegetarian because I cannot see the pictures and I cannot imagine what I'm eating and how this poor animal had to die. The way they die is horrible. And when an animal dies, he is in panic. And panic brings toxin into the muscles. And then, and then we are eating this meat full of toxin inside. God, at longer term, this has consequences. So uh, uh, I'm extremely conscious about this. And but my biggest element is that I think that we are in the ecosystem. We all belong to planet. We all have to obey to the rules of planet. That's not our rules. <laughs> we have to, every time we make decisions, we should check it. Is this okay with, is this coherent with planet? Is this coherent with the rule that governs planet? And um, to come back to meat, um, one ecologist in France, I read uh, an article about him, uh, and he said there was a uh, question uh, from a lady who said, what can I do to save planet? I'm just a, sing a simple uh, habitant at my level. Like, what can I do? And the guy said, you know what you can do? You can do two things. Stop uh, to buy a car with gasoline, buy an electric car, number one, and number two, stop eating meat. And I was, in the beginning, I was shocked. I said, how can he say that? But then I realized, you know, meat, what it costs to us, the way we treat meat, the quantity of water that is needed for meat. And suddenly, I, I, I must say, I agree with this guy. So today, I think we have reached the limit, the limit of a generation number one, the generation that was born after World War II, um, they will slowly, and myself, slowly pass over, and there will be a new generation on command. And when this new generation will command, we will enter the 21st century, because today we are unfortunately still in the 20th century, because all the people that are shaping this century, all the people that are on command, all the people that are influent in politics, in economics, in finance, in industry, in business, all these people are born in the 20th century with the philosophy of the 20th century, with the ideas of the 20th century, with the imperialism of the 20th century, with the ecology of the 20th century. And they have just passed 
from 1999, 31st of January, uh, December to the 1st of January 2000 by celebrating the, the, 20, the 20th century. But we are still in the, uh, in the old century because the people that woke up uh, on the 1st of January 2000, they just went on with the same concepts as before, which are the concepts and the philosophy of the 20th. But in 2030, we will have the first influence of people born close to the 21st century, born in 1990, born in 2000, born in 2005. And these people have another view. These people have another conscious. And these people will help us to save planet Earth. And that makes me optimist. I'm so pleased that this young generation, young women, young boys are coming. They are like if God has sent us these people to save us. And they, I see them as the savers. This is why I'm so often with these young people. This is why I try every day to learn from them. This is why I try to understand them. And the day you don't understand young people, that's the day you can say you are old. Old means not old is not a question of the passport. You know, the passport is for the custom. So the passport is useless, except if you travel. So the real age is in your head and your heart. And, it, and that means the day you don't understand anymore what young people are doing, how they behave, their philosophy, their way of living, the, that day comes then you can say, wow, I am now old. And when you are old and when you realize that you don't understand the young generation, then either you accept it and that means you accept to be old or you don't accept it and you start to learn. And when you learn, when you listen to the young generation, when you learn from the young generation, then you get again young and connected to the young generation brings you to become young and connected to the old generation brings you to the museum, brings you to become old. And, uh, and today I'm 72 years old. 72 years old or 72 years young? Yeah, I wanted to say young, but that would have been maybe uh, too much uh, <laughs> uh, arrogant. I think you're 72 years young. My heart is young. My head is young. My body is 72 years old. <laughs> But you, you touched on, or you're touching on something that I, I actually talked about in an earlier podcast episode with, with our mutual friend, Michele, which is, my view is, what we are living through the greatest tragedy in the history of mankind right now. And that tragedy is that over the last few generations, we have, we've entered into this mindset where we value our present self over our future selves. Because if we valued where we would be tomorrow, where the next generations would be in decades, we wouldn't be living like we live today. We wouldn't be consuming. We wouldn't be eating, you know, to your point, the meat, driving gasoline-powered cars. Like, how do we change that dynamic? How do we get people to realize that we have to live today in a way that leads to a decent tomorrow rather than just this rapacious consumption? We will not understand it. We, we, this generation is lost. It's the generation born after World War II, after the, the 45, 
uh, a few of them might change, yes, but the majority will not change. It's a question of generation. It's the new generation that has developed new ways, new concepts, a new approach to nature, a new approach to food. Uh, and these people, they will be on command. They will uh, face our future, uh, but not now. Uh, today, is it's only the beginning of the power of this new generation. But the power of the new generation will be at 100% around 2030, 2035, which is tomorrow. Until then, we old generation, we must try to help this, uh, uh, to make the, the change. But many, many people of the older generation, for them, they will not understand this language. They, will, they are not understanding the, the needs. And look, uh, uh, when people are buying, uh, uh, what are they buying? How is the conscious of the consumer? Uh, and you will notice that the young generation has a total different attitude uh, versus uh, the consumption uh, and, and uh, also versus the, the products they consume. So in the meantime, we need to educate, we need to communicate, we need to make people conscious about this ecosystem that can only survive. An ecosystem only survives if every element is coherent, if every element is mastered for itself and interconnected with the other one. And uh, uh, as I said in the beginning, uh, if you want healthy people, you need healthy nature. That's it. You need healthy animals. Finished. Boom. That's it. There is no way out of this. You need, if you want healthy people, you need healthy nature, healthy, healthy water. It starts. Look in in Africa. Every every second, every second, you have a child dying. Why? Not only because he has no food, they die because of. Uh, 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 not clear, clean water. Every second a child is dying because the water is polluted. Uh, then every second a child is dying because he has not enough food. But, uh, uh, so, but you see, so if as long as these kids do not get clear water, we will not stop that every second a child is, is, is dying. So we must start to get conscious. We must go to Africa and we must help uh, to, 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 to bring uh, uh, fresh water uh, uh, to all the habitants, like the water we have in our countries. Um, and, and we cannot let uh, 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 people dying uh, because of bad food or bad uh, water in another country. And we can say, well, that's not enough. That's, that, that doesn't concern us. Yes. It will hit us also, and if if the climate goes wrong uh, and water gets uh, from the sea fifty uh, half a meter higher, you will have hundred million people that will have to move, and where will they move? <laughs> and you will have enormous immigration. It will be it will be a catastrophe. So we must become conscious to change this and to teach. Uh, and to educate our people. But I am very, very optimistic 
that the new generation will understand and the new generation will act uh, as it has to be. I'm a little bit less about our generation, but thanks God our generation will die very soon. <laughs> like me, I will die in 10 or 20 years, I'm gone. So uh, I cannot do any harm anymore. So if I if I put you in a room with, let's say, the, the 20 most talented 20-year-olds in the entire world, boys, girls, from every part of the world, and and I told you to give them the words of advice that they need to bring about this better future that you're envisioning, what would you tell? I would tell what I told you now. I would tell that we are born from a mother. This first mother we are born from, the name is planet Earth. We are children of planet. We have to obey to planet. We have to respect our mother planet. We, everything we do has to be in the rules and in the respect of our mother planet. And that's our real mother. Of course, we are born from our, our physical mother also. But the first mother and the mother that commands us for billions of years is planet Earth. And planet Earth will not let us survive if we don't respect and planet will punish us. And once we will all disappear, planet will reborn. Because planet will not die. We die. We children of planet, we will die. But planet will recover. But uh, we don't want this disaster uh, to, uh, to happen. So from now on, we must think planet. We must think uh, ecosystem. We must think coherence. We must think respect. And that is what I would tell them. And it's easy to understand. It takes one minute to explain. So now if I put you in a room with 20 CEOs of the biggest companies in the world, Jeff Bezos, so on and so forth, and one of them said to you, Jean-Claude, I believe everything you just said. I, I love nature. I, we all come from nature. But I have to make I have to make money in my business. Yes, I don't. I sometimes I don't see how I can balance that. What What would you tell them? I would tell whatever money you want to make, whatever in a, a position you are, you in your business, you have to pay for electricity, and you have to pay for water. Now you must integrate a third charge. The third charge is you have to pay for protection of nature. And that's a cost. So look how much you pay for electricity, add to the cost of electricity you consume per year, the cost of electricity you consume a year, and then you say, okay, maybe I'm gonna put into my profit and loss uh, account, I put uh, a, a, a number that is protection of nature. And that you devote to a foundation or to whatever, an organization that protects nature. The first year, you will have a certain charge, additional charge, compared to the year before, because you have taken 10% of your water charges and 10% of electricity charges. 
But the next year, it will, it will not hurt anymore. It hurts only once. <laughs> it's the first year you do it because you compare to the right. year before. But after three or four years, it will be disappeared because these charges will be as natural as, as the charges you have to pay for water and the charges you have to pay for electricity. So you're, you're advocating for basically assigning a value to nature and that businesses can't treat nature as just something they can take from, but rather an asset that needs to be managed Yes, in their bottom line, just as like you'd manage your human talent or the coal or oil that you bring into your company to produce whatever it is you produce. Absolutely. And why should nature be free of charge? Nothing is free of charge. Yeah. Nature has a cost. Right. The cost of respect, that's already a cost. <laughs> the cost of keeping nature clean, that's a cost. But we cannot be egoistic and say, that's not our problem. But that is what the 20th century has done. The 20th century never, never cared about the next century. They never cared about nature. They never cared about our kids. And now time has come to change this attitude. We also must accept that today we are 8 billion people are living on planet. When I was born, we were 1.9 billion when I was born. So since I am born, we have four times more habitants. So if you are alone in your, in your chalet, you can behave a certain way. But if you live in the compound where you have thousand people, you cannot anymore. So now that we are 8 billion, we have also to have another attitude versus planet. Nothing now, uh, when we were so few people, everything was free of charge. We could take wood as much as we wanted, but now it's over. We cannot destroy Amazonia uh, uh, just because we, 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 we need uh, wood. I mean, it's finished. Now the numbers of people we are living in brings us to new behavior, a new way to behave. And this new way, the way of to, to behave, that must be integrated in our daily behavior, in our business, in our investment, that must be integrated. Yeah, that's a great point. Because in my, in my book, I talked about this concept called Earth Overshoot Day where in 1970, we lived in harmony with the world, right? We, the, the rate at which we consumed natural resources up until 1970 could be replenished by, the, by Mother Nature, by planet Earth. We were in balance. Yes. Right now, yeah. we, are, we are consuming natural resources so fast, we essentially need 1.6 Earths to live on. So by, by generally late July, early August. End of August, it's done. Yeah. We have consumed our allotment of natural resources for a year. Yeah, yeah. Early August, it's done. It's finished. And then we're living on borrowed time. So that's like spending your paycheck and then yes. dipping into your savings for the rest yes. of the year. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that has nothing to do somehow with the behavior. It has to do that we are 8 billion and we have to adapt to be 8 billion as we will have to adapt to be 10 billion as we will have to adapt to be, to be one day 12 billion. So it's just a question of adaptation. Till 1970, as you say, it was working. We were in harmony with this. 
Now we are not anymore. Why? Just because we have behaved the same way, although we are four times more habitants. It's like if I live alone in a house, I can play music at two o'clock in the morning as loud as I want. But if I live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a residence where you have 10 apartments, I cannot put my music as loud as if I would be alone. I have to take into account the fact that I'm not alone, that in this house you have 10, uh, uh, 10 apartments and in each apartment you have three people living. So I cannot behave as if I would be alone. So I have to adapt. And this is also what we have to do with planet. Planet is like a house before we were alone on this planet. And as long as we were alone, we could do whatever we wanted. We can, we can even go to the river and, and make pee-pee in the river. It wouldn't change anything. But suddenly we are now 8 million. And if 8 million go into the river and put their pee-pee, the river will be, will be polluted. So it's, it's not that we were wrong before. It's that we are wrong now not to adapt. The fact not to adapt makes us wrong. Who's, who's responsible for driving this adaptation? Everybody. Is it you and me? Is it politicians? Is it companies that take all these resources? Like Everybody. You cannot build a police system and <laughs> say that is what you have to do. It will never work. We have to be conscious. We, it, we, it's a lack of conscious. But we were never conscious till 1970, probably. And it means for thousands of years, we had no conscience. And you can imagine, it's not easy after 2,000 years to put a new way of behaving, a new conscience into the people's head. It's not as easy. It's not evident. It's a shock. And this shock can only, that's why I say, it comes from the new generation because their head is clean. They have no past. <laughs> they, they only see tomorrow and they know what to do. They, instantly, they know young people, the millenniums, have a totally different uh, approach to nature uh, uh, than us, a totally different approach also to the way of living, to the way of working. And they are our hope. They are our future. And that is why our future is bright because of this new generation. So you don't think there's a risk of this new generation suddenly finding comfort in all the material possessions? No, that I'm not worried. Say, I, am, I want I, more of those. I, I don't care how much Somehow I have the feeling they, they, right. they are wise enough. And, and you know, uh, even some older people like, like me have started to think the way you just said. And that, you know, is like in my family. I have five children. They all have a passion for watches. They all would like, would have loved to work in the watch industry. Three of them do. But why do they have this passion of watches? Because never did I train them, never did I taught them. Never did I wanted them to work in the, in the watch business. I wanted them to work wherever they wanted, to become a football player or musician 
or hippie. I didn't care. Main thing, they should be happy and they should be independent and they should go their way and not my way. I don't want children that are a copy of the Papa. Children that go to the church and are dressed like the, the Papa. I never thought this is great. I said, children must be dressed like children, finished, not the copy of the father. And if the father uh, is in watches, why should the kids go into watches? They should go where they want. But my children have a passion for watches. Why? Because they have lived in a passionate environment and passion goes through the walls. Passion is the strongest thing. Passion is love and love goes through the walls. Love goes through the, uh, across the Atlantic. And so uh, I believe that slowly, slowly, this new uh, attitude versus uh, uh, planet will cross the whole, will go to the whole world. Because the world is no more a world. The world is a village. <laughs> the world is a small village. It's finished to, to think that the world, you know, it, and it's like, you know, we have a lake in Switzerland, a lake. We have many lakes, by the way. But we have one lake that has, uh, where half of the lake belongs to France and the other half to Switzerland. <laughs> so if you want this lake to be drinking water and not be polluted, it's not enough if the Swiss <laughs> do the job because the other half is French. And if the French don't do the job, then the lake will still be polluted. It means the two countries had to decide for one lake that they would stop to pollute the lake. It was not enough that one country. And this is the interconnection uh, between the countries. And that is new. I mean, we have realized that today we are all interconnected, economically interconnected, financially interconnected, industrially interconnected. We must think like one world. We cannot think like one individual or like one country. It doesn't work anymore to think like one country. Imperialism doesn't work anymore. Communism doesn't work anymore. We, maybe democracy doesn't work also, <laughs> not so well anymore. <laughs> so also a democracy will have to adapt because the democracy now with the respect of the minorities, the democracy has to adapt. And democracy has to take into consideration the, all the minorities. But th then when you take a lot of consideration to the minorities, then the majority says, hey, where's my democracy? No, we have to reinvent. We have to adapt. We are at the moment where many adaptations will have to come because the situation has moved. The situation has changed. The climate has changed. The numbers of people that are living has changed. Now uh, in Russia, uh, because of the temperature, the perma, uh, perma sol, we say in French. Yeah, the per permafrost, yep. Where, where the earth is frozen the whole year, now it starts to, to defrost. And when it defrost, you have bacteries that come back that are alive. Bacteries that we have never seen, that we have never studied, that we even don't know that they exist because these bacteries has been, have been buried into the frozen uh, period thousand years ago. And now they come back because they are not dead. They have just been preserved in the, minor, in the uh, extremely cold. 
So we have to adapt. And this is why the, the virus is nothing new. The virus is new for people who are not aware that it was existing. But the virus is nothing new. Uh, read uh, what, what Bill Gates is saying or, or listen on the conference. And the virus will be worse and worse. Plus all the new viruses coming from, the, the, from Russia. Not from Russia on purpose because of the climate. So all this has consequences. And, and one more time, we have here the proof that we need harmony. We need coherence. And we cannot think for our own garden. The garden belongs to everybody and everybody plays in this garden. And that is why we need a new uh, uh, organization. In every field, in politics, in finance, also in finance, we should start to buy uh, shares of company and ask uh, if we are shareholder, what are you doing for the planet? You know, we have to, to uh, create new funds, green funds uh, uh, that are selecting only companies that, are, uh, uh, that do the job uh, for, for preserve the country, uh, the pl planet. And slowly, slowly, other companies will also come into this fund because they say, hey, uh, uh, we, we, we need the people to come to invest in our company. Uh, so it has to change on every level. And that's also, again, you see here the coherence. You cannot change one thing. You must change. Everything must work. It's, not, it's, it, it's a nonsense to uh, be in Switzerland and to say, we are not polluting our lake. No, we are not, but the lake is polluted. Why? Because the neighbor is putting his uh, shit into the lake. So we need to be together. We need a, a global concept. You touched on something earlier that I don't, I don't want to let go because it was, it was really, really moving the way you said it. And that is, in, in, for all the other people I've interviewed in this podcast, yeah, I always ask a question, you know, how can listeners to this podcast make a difference and foster a better relationship between people and nature? And we've had amazing ideas. Uh, there's all the different ways that you know, people can create an ecosystem in their backyard. They actually now can help scientists in the field just from working in their desk. But you, you've hit on, on maybe the most human idea, the most human approach I've ever heard, which is passion. And that we need to find this passion for nature. And we need to, we need to make that passion drive everything we do. Is that, did I hear you when you said that? Is that what I heard? Yes, that's what you heard. And, uh, uh to give even more sense to what uh, what you heard and what I said, passion is law is part of the expression is one of the expression of love. Love has many expressions. Uh, so for instance, sharing is love. Forgiving is love. Respecting is love. So you see, and the Beatles they told us all you need is love. But they, they didn't mean all you need is to love somebody. That's not enough. Love is an attitude. Love is a moral behavior. Love is ethics. So as love has many ways to express, as many ways to appear, one way to appear or for love is passion. Passion is love. Passion is love. Uh, art is love, and love is eternal. The music of Mozart, 
I know he died long time ago in Austria, but never was he so alive than today. He never had so many people listening to his music than today. So he's still alive. Picasso will never die. The guy is still alive. Even the Beatles will not die. They are alive, which means art is eternal and passion is also eternal. And what we need for planet is to bring planet back to eternity. And it means we cannot consume planet. We must enable planet to be eternal because if planet is not eternal, we will disappear. <laughs> so the first element for eternity is to keep our mother eternal and the mother is planet. So we have to, and as you said, we need to teach and to learn people to have a passion for their mother, to have love for their mother. And when you love your mother, and when you are passionate about your mother, you will not damage your mother. You will respect your mother, and you will honor your mother. And that's what we have to do. And that's a beautiful way to end this. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation, Jean-Claude. Thank you, <laughs> yes. And I, I, I just, I wanna leave the last, in particular, the last five minutes of this conversation right where they are. And- um, Okay, great. So thank you. This was wonderful. I really appreciate your, just your, your belief in a better future, your, your inspiration and um, your commitment to a better world. So thank you. Thank you very much for the interview. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye, Bob.